Okay, can I ask you please to take out your Bibles and to turn them up to John chapter 11, which you will find on page 1,120, no, 1,529. Uh, and also, if you don't have a copy of the leaflet that you're given at the door, can I encourage you to go and grab one of those inside? As always, there's a reasonably detailed outline that will help you to follow along. So, leaflet and Bible passage in front of you for this next little while. Well, over the last few weeks here at Trinity, we've been uh, thinking about some important um, topical sermons, but we're back to our bread and butter preaching, uh, working through a book of the Bible chapter at a time. Uh, we actually began 2023 in John's Gospel, so I thought uh, we'd finish, you see on your outline there on the left-hand side, John's Gospel is divided into two parts. We're going to finish the Book of Signs before we come back to the Book of Glory at the start of next year. Uh, John's big idea is that Jesus performs signs and wonders so we might believe something about who he is and that has wonderful implications for us. So if you look on your outline there, it says John 20 verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these ones are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. In the reading that we're about to have, John chapter 11, we're going to see one of the great signs in John's gospel as Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Uh, And we're going to see the importance of believing that, uh, if for no other reason that in this one chapter, you can see on your outline down the left, eight times the word believe occurs in this chapter. Uh, So that's what we're going to spend our time in. Um, Just as we begin... Uh, just to note, today I'm going to talk a lot about Lazarus being raised from the dead uh, because that's what Jesus does for Lazarus. Uh, and although it's incredible what he does, he raises him from the dead, it's still only temporary. Lazarus is going to die a second time. So in a sense that all John 11 is about is basically resuscitation. Uh, an incredible resuscitation story, but it's about resuscitation. What Jesus is pointing us towards is something even more spectacular. And that's something that Jesus does for everyone who believes. Jesus offers resurrection to eternal life from which you can never die again. Uh, To feel the drama of the story, we're going to have the reading just in three short parts. And Ali's going to bring it for us, so she'll grab a microphone and come on up. Uh, Three parts, each with a profound implication. And at the end, we're going to hear from a member of our gathering just about their experience of how reading John, the way in which we are, has profoundly affected them. Okay, so start with John chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Jesus learns that his friend Lazarus is sick. Thanks, Ali. So as Jeff said, uh, if you're following along in one of those Bibles um, on the pews in front of you, that is page 1529, 1529. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, 
Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Okay, so keep your Bibles open there, John 11, and make sure you've got the handout open in front of you. We're on the right-hand side, point one, Jesus learns that his friend Lazarus is sick. And this is actually the first time that we've met Mary, Martha and Lazarus in John's Gospel, um, although apparently they're famous enough that John can refer to the time when Mary washes Jesus' feet with her hair. We'll actually get to that episode next week in chapter 12. But so far, in chapter up to chapter 11, all we know is two things about the family. Firstly, verse 1, they're from Bethany. And the second thing that we know about this family is that they are very close friends of Jesus. They're very close friends of Jesus. They must be, because when Lazarus falls ill, the sisters send word to Jesus, Jesus, who has just opened the eyes of a man born blind, back in chapter 9. They send word to Jesus, come quickly. Verse 3, Lord... The one you love is sick. The one you love is sick. At this point, uh, Jesus' reaction to this awful news about a dear friend, his reaction is odd, to say the least. Look at what Jesus says, verse 4, which I've actually printed there on your handout so that uh, you can keep referring to it. John 11, verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. This sickness will not end death, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, let me be the first to say that uh, it's excellent when, in the Bible, Jesus tells you why he's doing what he's doing. Uh, And he's saying here, his actions will confirm his identity. His actions will confirm his identity. In fact, that's exactly what John 20, verses 30 and 31, had said that the whole book was about. But here's what's odd about Jesus' response. Even though he says, verse 4, this sickness will not end in death, and even though, look at verse 5, verse 5, it repeats, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Here's what's odd. When Jesus hears that it's touch and go for Lazarus, here's what he proceeds to do. Nothing. He does absolutely nothing. Verse 6, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where he was two more days. Now, I just want to point out that that's a really strange way to show your love for a friend who you've just found out is very ill. Even if Jesus knows that this sickness won't end in death, his decision to keep away, to keep his distance, it feels pretty insensitive. I suspect, and uh, you know, you might ask Mike about this, he lectures in a Bible college, I suspect Jesus would have failed the subject on pastoral care at this point. Uh, Some of you will recall that uh, my father died in February this year. Uh, He was sick for almost all of last year, 
and I spent a lot of time on planes to and from Sydney, sometimes twice a week. In times of distress, no one stays away from their loved ones for a moment longer than is absolutely necessary. But eventually, Jesus says, okay, it's time to go. But his disciples then raise a reasonable concern. Look at what they say, verse 8. Verse 8, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. Um, It seems that they're probably thinking, okay, Jesus, it's one thing for you to say that this won't end in Lazarus's death, but what about ours? Do you really want to go there? And Jesus' response uh, in verses 9 and 10, I'll just paraphrase here, Jesus' response is basically, don't worry, the darkness won't get you if you stay in the light. The darkness won't get you if you stay in the light, which is meant to be deeply reassuring because back in chapter 9 and chapter 8, there on your handout, Jesus has just said, I am the light of the world. And so he reassures his disciples. Verse 11 Look at verse 11. Jesus says, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Now, unfortunately, his disciples completely misunderstand what Jesus is saying. Uh, They think that in saying Lazarus has fallen asleep, they think, oh, his illness isn't all that serious. So Jesus has to clarify. uh, And what he says to them is, look, When I said he's fallen asleep, I was just being sensitive. Um, Let's be blunt. Verse 14, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. You may believe. The first occurrence of the word in the chapter. Now, John doesn't include all the details. He He doesn't tell us how Jesus knows that Lazarus has already died. It's possible that Jesus has had a divine revelation. Or perhaps just another messenger has arrived in the interim. What we are told, verse 14, is that everything Jesus does is so that they might believe. Well, believe what? Well, remember verse 4. Believe that this sickness won't end in death and that God's Son will be glorified. Well, before we see how Jesus is going to do this in the next reading, there's a question there which I printed on your handout. Why does Jesus put the ones he loves through such agony? Why does Jesus put the ones he loves through such agony? Why does he allow Lazarus to die if he's just going to raise him again? Why does he cause Mary and Martha, his sisters, such awful grief? Well, I think the answer is that what Jesus is doing is showing them that he offers them even more than a physical raising from the dead. Even more than a physical raising from the dead. Now, I said at the start uh, that resuscitation, uh, although, of course, spectacular, it's only temporary. Lazarus is going to die a second time. But what Jesus will show is that he can even offer resurrection to eternal life. And so here's why Jesus puts them through such agony. It's to reshape their worldview. It's so that they come to understand, I printed there on your handout, 
Death can't be avoided, but it's not the end for those who believe in him. Death can't be avoided, but it's not the end for those who believe in him. And here's one of those really profound implications uh, for us today. Knowing the final outcome makes the process less painful. Knowing the final outcome makes the process less painful. Glimpsing the destination enables you to stay on the journey even though you still have to go through it all. Jesus is showing how wonderful it is that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. Because by believing in him, they will have eternal life in his name. Uh, Or, to put it in different words from Psalm 23, Jesus is telling his disciples, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need fear no evil, for he is with them. His rod and his staff will comfort them on the way. Can I say, this is why it is so good to be a disciple of Jesus? It's so good to be a disciple of Jesus because no matter how awful things can be, no matter how terrible they might become, Jesus is with us by his Spirit. And whatever befalls us, it is not final. Christians never expect a life without suffering or hardship. Christians never expect a life without suffering or hardship. If someone tries to offer that to you to induce you to become a Christian, they are lying. Christians never expect a life without suffering or hardship. Instead, Christians believe that, as we've just sung, Christ is our hope in life and death and he can be glorified even in the worst of situations. How? Well, next reading, verses 17 through 37, Jesus is confronted by death. Thanks, Ali. So starting at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who'd been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, 
She fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Thanks, Ali. Okay, so point two on your handout, Jesus is confronted by death. I remember how Jesus waited for two more days before he left. Uh, By the time he gets to Lazarus, um, well, it turns out Lazarus has been dead for four days. So actually, even if Jesus had set off immediately, he wouldn't have made it on time. What's interesting, though, is that when he arrives, Martha comes straight out to meet him. Now, if you've read Luke's Gospel, you'll recall that the last time Jesus came to visit Mary and Martha, uh, that Jesus ended up rebuking Martha for running around trying to tidy the house, whilst Mary sat down to get to know Jesus better. And it seems that this time, actually, Martha's learned her lesson, because when Jesus arrives, it's Martha who marches straight out to him. Look what she says, verse 21. Verse 21 Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I've spent a lot of this week wondering what tone of voice Martha had in her voice at this point. Uh, Is she rebuking Jesus? Is she disappointed? Is she just sadly stating a fact? Uh, We don't know. But I think Martha is still holding out hope in an oblique kind of way that Jesus can still do something for them. Look at what she says next in verse 22. Verse 22, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Well, Jesus' first words are very comforting. Look what he says, verse 23, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. Jesus assures her death will not be the end for Lazarus. To which Martha bravely responds, and I say bravely because I suspect it's through tears. Uh, Even though Jesus has comforted her, it still really hurts what's taken place. Verse 24, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Now, actually... What she says, and I printed there on your handout, gives us a clue as to the meaning of this passage. On your handout, John eleven twenty four, Martha answered, I know he will rise again, literally, I know he will be resurrected in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus then says something quite remarkable to Martha. It's the second and third and fourth occurrences of the word believe. Verses 25 and 26, verse 25, Jesus says... I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? It's quite a claim that Jesus is making. Jesus is saying to Martha, are you 100% confident about resurrection on the last day? Well, here's how you can be. Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the one who makes it possible. 
and I'm the one who's telling you it's going to be okay, just look to me, I've got this under control. Now clearly, Jesus is not saying Christians will never die. Lazarus is dead, right? What Jesus is saying is that even though death can't be avoided, it's not the end for those who believe in him. That is the fifth occurrence of the word believe. And what's really interesting at this point is that Martha's response in verse 27 is exactly what chapter 20 had called for. Remember John 20, the purpose of the book, that you might believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and have life in his name? Look at what Martha says, verse 27. Yes, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Yet, as the conversation between Jesus and Martha ends, we're left wondering, well, that's great about Lazarus being resurrected in the resurrection at the last day. Is Jesus going to do anything now to help this poor family who are suffering so horribly? You see, because we readers, we remember verse 4. Remember verse 4 right at the start? Jesus has said, this sickness won't end in death. But Martha doesn't know that. And so she goes off to get her sister Mary and Mary comes to Jesus and Mary falls at his feet and through her tears, Mary says exactly the same thing as what Martha cried out earlier. Verse 32, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And again, we don't know what her tone of voice was. Accusatory? Or anguished. But we do know, look at verse 33, Jesus is deeply moved and troubled in spirit by her suffering. And we're told that when Jesus is finally taken to Lazarus's tomb, simply, verse 35, Jesus wept. Well, at this point, we see two different responses to Jesus's tears. Some people interpret his tears as a sign of his failure, of his despair. They mock him. Verse 37. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Others marvel at his empathy and compassion and his humanity. Verse 36. See how he loved him. Because we're being shown that Jesus' identity is both fully God and fully human. So I think that's one of the implications from this second part of the passage. And it's tremendously reassurance, reassuring. Jesus is fully God and fully human. Jesus is not impervious to the awful suffering that ravages our broken world. And even though he knows this sickness won't end in death, Jesus is still deeply affected by the pain of his people. It's true. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is resplendent in majesty, glorious in power. He is God's anointed and conquering King. But he also cares deeply for his friends. He suffers when they suffer. And he weeps with us in our hurt. And what Jesus does next demonstrates his extraordinary power to reshape our understanding of life and death and everything in between. 
And so we'll come to our third and final scene, verses 38 through 46. Thanks, Ali. Verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Okay, well, point three, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Can I say that if you're here today as someone who's not a Christian, then we're delighted to have you with us this week and every week, actually. Uh, Our hope and our prayer is that you come to see a little more of what Jesus is like and why he's actually worthy of your life. As I talk to people who aren't Christians, sometimes they ask questions like, because they're rightly sceptical, well, did it all take place? Was the events in the Bible, are they a bit of a hoax? Uh, To address one of those concerns, maybe that Lazarus hadn't actually died, so it wasn't really a sign that Jesus performed, did you notice how John emphasised just how dead Lazarus was in this last section? Uh, Verse 38, the tomb, we're told, has a stone in front of it, and the entrance has been sealed up for four days. Uh, Verse 39, John identifies Martha as the sister of the dead man, uh, and he records her saying, there's a bad odour. He's been inside for four days already. And actually, back in verse 19, we'd been told that many people had travelled all the way from Jerusalem to comfort the sisters in the loss of their brother. There is no doubt. Lazarus, dead. But Jesus is unfazed. Jesus just orders the stone covering the tomb to be moved, saying, verse 40, verse 40, did I not tell you that if you believe, the sixth occurrence, you will see the glory of God? Now, again, we readers, uh, we remember verse 4. Verse 4, this sickness won't end in death. No, it's for God's glory, that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, verse 40 actually is a little bit ambiguous. When Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? It's not actually clear who the you is. Uh, my guess is it's, it could be Martha, that's possible. Although she wasn't present back in verse 4, so she doesn't really know about what Jesus said back then. Could be his disciples, they were there all along. But I imagine actually Jesus looks up at the crowd at this point because all of us get to listen in as God the Son prays to God the Father. Verse 42, verse 42, 
I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. Seventh occurrence of the word believe, and it's wonderful. It's telling us that Jesus is no charlatan, he's no trickster, he's no upstart who's come from nowhere. Jesus is God's emissary. So he comes with the full authority of the Father. And again, the implication for us is clear. It means we can trust him. We can take him at his word. Well, after all that, the finale in many ways is a bit of an anticlimax, isn't it? Jesus doesn't perform any elaborate rituals to raise Lazarus from the dead. He doesn't do any preparation. Simply, verse 43, he calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And I wonder if there's a dramatic pause before out Lazarus saunters. Do you notice in verse 44, John still calls him the dead man, the dead man, just so we don't miss the significance of what's taking place. He's wrapped up in grave clothes and Jesus orders them to be immediately removed because Lazarus has retaken his place amongst the living. And once again, we see the same two responses to Jesus. Verses 45 and 46. Some go to the Pharisees to dob him in, but we're told many of the Jews ate the currants, believed in him. Believed in him, not just that he can resuscitate a four-day dead man, Amazing though that is, but that Jesus can guarantee resurrection to eternal life at the last day. Well, what does it all mean for us? Let me just make one observation. In John chapter 11, Jesus is bringing a big picture perspective to our specific circumstances. Jesus is bringing a big picture perspective to our specific circumstances. How? Well, by resuscitating Lazarus, Jesus is assuring us that we who believe in him will be resurrected on the last day. And that, brothers and sisters, that changes everything. It changes everything about our expectations and our experience of this life now. It means that the hard things of this life they will not last. Mind you, neither will the good things. But what will last is Jesus' promise. In fact, as we'll see in the chapters ahead, he will die to secure that promise for us. I hope you can see that resurrection to eternal life is so much better than being raised once from the dead. Because, though that's spectacular, at best, all it does is prolong this life. It just restores Lazarus to the status quo. When what Jesus is offering is so much better by far. Sometimes people ask, What about us today? Should we pray then for God to resuscitate the recently deceased? 
Here's what I'd like to say. Well, you could pray, and nothing will stop God from doing so if he wants to. But there's no real reason to expect that God, that Jesus will repeat this sign because he's done it once already. In raising Lazarus from the dead, he has shown us his identity. He's confirmed for us who he is. He is the one with the authority to give the much better thing to all who believe. So it means you can trust Jesus. You can trust Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. And he has compassion for those he loves. This Jesus is not removed or far away. He's not distant or standoffish. This Jesus has come near. He was born as a baby. He lived as one of us. So he knows everything about us. He knows our dreams and our disappointments. He knows our successes and our failures. He knows our delights and our despairs. And that means actually that in the end for a Christian, our lifelong prayer is to better know how wide and long and high and deep is his love for us. His love which surpasses knowledge that we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In chapter 11, John is asking, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because, for one last time, there are two responses. There's denial and scorn and mockery. Or there's confidence based on understanding who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And I want to suggest that the way to move from the former to the latter is just to get to know Jesus better. You know the best way you do that? Is that you keep reading through John. You read the whole biography. And so, I want to invite you, invite you to consider reading John's Gospel with someone else and share with them about what you learn about Jesus. Especially an unbeliever. Because, if I can put it this way, is there any better way to spend this summer than gaining eternal life through him who is the resurrection and the life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you raised him from the dead as the first fruit of a harvest to come. We pray that as we continue to look to him, that you might show us who he is and what he has done for us and how that changes everything. Amen.